0: Alright, good morning everybody. How's everybody doing this morning? Wave at me if you're doing, doing well. Okay, cool. Glad you guys are here. Uh, before I get started with my message, I'm starting a new series today, but before I get started, um, I want to just talk about a couple who's coming in about two or three weeks. August the 1st are going to come. I'm um, going to put their beautiful family up there and Andrew. Um, <laughs> these guys are dear to our hearts. Again, these, they, some of you guys know them, of course. They were part of our, our church for years, actually, way before I even came. I think pretty, pretty much Andrew was born one, under one of the pews out here. So he's been around for a long, long time. They are planting a church, actually launching the church in Greenville, South Carolina. Um, I think it's, what, September 1st? like this, About eight weeks away, they're getting ready to launch a church. So for you guys who don't know, about three years ago or so thereabouts, um, we launched them from DCF to plant the church. And so they had a heart to plant a church. It was a big journey about where they were going to do that. We prayed. We sent them to different cities. And ultimately, they connected into Greenville, South Carolina. Um, started to gather people or tried to gather people. And a lot of things just weren't working the way we all kind of assumed they would, which God is sometimes like that. But he had a great plan. Connected them with a beautiful, amazing, wonderful church called Hope Church in the city or outside the city actually, and these guys now, Andrew and Jamie and their family, are going to be planting a campus church for Hope Church inside the city limits of Greenville, which was a dream for um, Hope Church for many, many years, and so it's now coming to fruition. We just love how that intersection happened with us and them, and it's just a big, really big kingdom thing. It's not just a local church thing, although we love the local church. Um, So come be a part of that. Again, that's August 1st. They're going to be here. He's going to be preaching Sunday morning. Um, he's going to share a little bit of their journey. And he's just going to talk through some kingdom stuff about loving our city. And, you know, he's got all kinds of different things he's praying into. We kind of give him freedom to do that. But come join us. It's going to be amazing. It'll be good for your family. Again, they're a whole family on mission. that They really are, all of them, uh, are involved in the, in the ministry in huge ways. It's, it's a really cool thing. So come out and connect with them on August the 1st. Um, so we're going to have a good time. So I want to start a new series. It's kind of a a weird one. It's called God Before You, and so (laughs) I want to kind of, I feel like I need to explain when I put like a, what looks like a 12-year-old's text up as the title screen, and so I want to explain a little bit. Um, As I was praying into what to do as we kind of, jump back into the school season, you know, and there's, that's kind of a season as, as a church where we can build, and a lot of people are, get into a rhythm, and so it's a really nice place to dig into some things and, you know, get serious about a lot of different things, build, uh, start some things, that kind of thing. But I was, as I was praying, I felt like the Lord said, I-, I want you to speak tenderly to my people. And so for those of you who most of you guys would probably know, that's actually a, a passage, sort of a passage from, um, uh, from Isaiah chapter 40. It says, comfort, comfort my people says your God, speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed. And I thought that was really interesting. So obviously, you know, we're all kind of feeling coming out of COVID, you know, whatever coming out of COVID means. Um, seems like we're, we might be coming out of one thing and going right into something else that's just as ugly with the things that are happening, political unrest all over the place. Um, so I was looking into some statistics about just the psychological and mental challenges not for myself, but for what happens with COVID. And so um, there was an interesting, the Census U.S. Census Bureau did a, a poll, a survey. It's called the Household Pulse Survey. And they discovered that the average share of adults reporting symptoms of anxiety disorder and or depressive disorder from January uh, 2019 to January 2021. In 2019, it was 11% who were reporting that. And in uh, two thousand twenty one two thousand and twenty one it was forty one percent so that means you know it started out as one in ten people were reporting that they were anxious or they were depressed and they were going through a lot of these mental health challenges feeling it um, and and then it moved up to almost half of everybody you know is struggling with this in a big way and I think sometimes we we when we come out of it, especially when we come out of a national thing. The kind of the sense is, okay, COVID's over. Let's get back to normal. Well, there's no normal, right? <laughs> right after, after something like this, there's just no normal. The first um, series I preached as, as we went into COVID, I felt like the Lord called me to preach a series called Disruption. And the difference was, you know, in an interruption, you can stop what you're doing, deal with whatever it is, and then go back to it, whatever you were doing. And in a disruption, there's no going back. And so there's a lot of things, I think, that we left behind in COVID. Um, some of those things were, you know, helpful and good. I mean, so many of us have lost people or know someone who's lost someone dear to them. Um, I lost an uncle, and my dad, got he got COVID at my uncle's funeral. And so it was really, really scary. Some of us, you know, we felt the weight of that. And then the political unrest, you know, the the... I mean, there's such a sense of not knowing who to trust in our government. It, it doesn't matter which side of the aisle you're on. It Just literally, it's like the people who have been in authority for many, many years we grew up with that felt like we could trust. So often now, we're like, I'm not sure you guys know what you're talking about, right? Which creates a real sense of, you know, of unease in all of us. And so this passage in, in uh, Isaiah really, I think, it really captures what the Lord is saying is, you, you've been in... Bondage, whether you realize it or not. You, you've been hurt. You've been damaged. I have. And, uh, and if we're not aware of that, if we just kind of treat it as if, oh you know, just back to business as usual, I think what will happen is we play hurt. You ever do that when you're in, in sports, play hurt? Like, you know, sometimes you just got to suck it up, buttercup, and get back out on the field, right? Coach used to say that, and, you know, if you got hit by a truck, he'd tell you to walk it off. Anybody ever have a coach like that? <laughs> and there's there's truth to that, obviously, you know, to take personal responsibility, you know, you can't just sit and wallow. But at the same time, I think it, there's something that the Lord's trying to say that I, I want you to rest. I want you to take a season and just be comforted. Let hope arise in you again. Let the kindness and the goodness of God just kind of, you know wash over you and, and, and cleanse you from the brokenness and the hurt that we've all come out of and so so I want to I, I, I thought about that I'm like okay I've, I've got you know a, a long time to preach into this and so there's lots of things I felt I could do and oftentimes as you've been preaching for a while it's not so much what should I do but what do I you know take away what do I not say that I could say and so as I prayed about it this phrase came in my head God before you and I thought well that's Weird, right? But I am a mystery wrapped in enigma burrito with hot sauce on top, right? So that's just kind of how my head works sometimes. So that didn't surprise me that God would say something to me that was a little strange. What was interesting is the way He framed it in my in my head, and my heart. And so, you know, the phrase "God before you," a um, couple things came to mind as I was thinking that through. One is, um, if God be for you, who can be against you, right? That's a beautiful promise, and, and I'm going to talk about that at some point. Um, but the other one was that God goes before you. And so that's kind of what I want to talk about today is, is the fact that, you know, so much of when we went into COVID, um, all of us were surprised, right? There's so many of us, you know, there's, there was two guys on YouTube who weren't surprised. They told us, right? But every, all the rest of us, we were surprised by this. But God wasn't surprised by this, right? It's helpful to remember that, that, you know, in this it's like, God, did you lose your contact lenses? Did you not see what was coming, right? And our tendency is to kind of think that, but he did. He did know what was coming and he promised his things. And as he was setting things up, as he was going before us, even before COVID, he was paving the way. And so for some of us, that means we had a community around us that what could have been horrific and literally so destructive that we couldn't recover from it was negligible in terms of the damage it created because God had already prepared a community for you to be a part of for encouragement and love. And some of you guys, you know, we checked into um, church online, and we were able to do that right away, which is awesome, so we could continue ministry. So God went before us even in COVID. But there's some beautiful promises. You know, there's a, a passage in Deuteronomy. Um, it's talking about Moses and talking to Joshua. and It just says that Moses called Joshua, said to him, the sight of all Israel, be strong and of good courage. I wonder why he had to say that to him, right? <laughs> be strong and of good courage. For you must go with this people to the land which the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them. So you have to have courage going into the, the, the way that God has gone before and, and planted for you. It says, and you shall cause them to inherit this land. Verse 8 says, and the Lord, he is the one who goes before you. So there's a part that we play. I think, you know, we talk about this a lot, that there's a, a, a part of, of uh, building with God. You know, co-laboring. We're co-heirs. And so there's a part that we do. But really the part that we play is to follow his lead, right? It's like, you know, so often, if if my wife and I, sometimes when we dance, we're both strong leaders, and so I'm like, okay, are you going to let me lead this time? Because I would really like to to lead. (laughs) We don't dance often, but when we do, right, I ask that question. And so often we want to lead God, and we're like, God, I have this agenda. I'd love for you to come behind this. And God is like, listen, I've already gone before you, and I've got a path laid out. Are you listening to me for where... you you need to go and so often when we get in trouble it's not because we you know we were doing we weren't doing good things it's just a lot of times the good things we were doing weren't the God things for us if that makes sense so it's really helpful to to hear that the Lord is going before you and to follow after him he says he will be with you he will not leave you nor forsake you remember that's a promise Jesus made in the new, new covenant as well do not fear nor be dismayed why would he say that to us Because the tendency in where we're going is there's going to be fear and we're going to be dismayed. And so he's challenging us. He's saying, hey, I want to prepare you for what's coming. When it comes, not even if it comes, because we live in a fallen and a broken world. But when it comes, I have gone before you. Can you see the path I've laid out? That's kind of the question. And so there are several passages that echo this sentiment uh, for us as God's people. Deuteronomy 31, I just read, there's another one in the first chapter of Deuteronomy. It says, the Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight on your behalf. So often the battles that cause us to be weary are battles that God never asks us to fight. And so I just want to challenge you, just as we go forward, part of this encouragement is to stay true to what the Lord is saying. So another one is Psalm 139.5. It says, you go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. That's a beautiful picture, I think. Isaiah 52 says, for the Lord will go before you and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. It's almost like, hey, it's not even that I'm going before you. I'm bringing up the rear as well. So you don't don't even have to watch your back. I've got your back. That's a beautiful sentiment, right? And then lastly, Isaiah 45, 2 says, I'll go before you and will level the mountain. Isn't that a beautiful picture? I'll go before you and level the structures that are in your way, the things that are in your way. He's saying, I'm going to bring the the, the mountains low, and I'm going to raise the valleys up. So if you if you know anything about making roads, Dothan is an awesome place to make a road because it is so stinking flat, right? <laughs> you don't have to dig anywhere. Just lay it on the ground and keep going. Try that in Colorado. Like there, There's a reason why switchbacks occur because there's just... To get up that kind of incline, you can't just go straight up. And so the Lord's saying, not only will I, you, you not have to do the switchbacks, which is super slow, right? I'll level that thing for you, and I'll go before you. I'll make your path straight. If you can stay in, in, the Bible says in the New Covenant, to stay in step with the Spirit of God, in step with the Holy Spirit. And as long as you do that, He's going before you, and He's paving away. So it's a beautiful picture of God's protection and His provision. He opens a path on our behalf. And so let me just kind of give you a, a quick story of this happening in Karen in, in my life. Um, my dad was a, a landscaper for as long as I can remember. Um, he loved it, and he was really, really good at it. And so I worked with him when I was a teenager. And then we were in Tyler, Texas, and I got a job as an office manager in a landscape company. And so I was looking at the books and looking at the numbers, and the numbers weren't adding up. And so I took it to the owner. He was a millionaire. He had his office there. He was you know, no-nonsense kind of guy, I walk into his office and I said, hey, uh, um, I was looking at the numbers, they don't line up. He didn't even bat an eye. <laughs> he didn't make any excuses. He straight up said this. He goes, that's because we're cooking the books. I was like, oh, okay. Thought I would have liked to have you know, known about that in the interview process, but whatever. So I, said, so I started to say something and he said, and here's how this is going to go. You're going to go along with this or I'm going to fire you and I'm going to get somebody else who will go along with me so, you know, um, I couldn't go along, and he fired me. And so he fires me on a Thursday. Um, I go home. It's a 45-minute commute. I'm praying the whole time. I'm like, I have to tell my wife now I've lost my job. I've been fired. Um, thankfully, it wasn't because I was being stupid. I was being righteous, so that was a little bit of incentive, but I was still without a job, right? And so I come in, and uh, this, again, this is a Thursday, and Karen meets me at the door, and she's looking at me. Like she knows stuff. Your wife ever look at you like she knows things? That <laughs> so she says, you got fired today, didn't you? And my mouth drops to the floor. I'm like, oh, my goodness, how do you know that? She goes, I was doing dishes, and the Lord told me Dave got fired today, but it's going to be okay. So first I was terrified, right? <laughs> I'm like, what else does my wife know? So God obviously talks to her. But, but the beautiful part was it's going to be Okay. It wasn't, you know, and I think the, the supernatural aspect of it, that God would reveal that to her prophetically, was tied to the provision aspect of, if I could show you the supernaturally, can you trust me that I'll take care of you? And of course, we said, if, yeah, I can do that. So, you know, my expectation, of course, was, you know, there was going to be a, you know, a boatload of money that just fell in my lap. It did not. I thought I was going to get a job right away. I did not. And so we went for a whole month. And here's the kicker. That was a, the, we got, I got fired on a Thursday, and uh, we were closing on a house on Friday. <laughs> so, again, you know, it's a big step. It's like we're not going to take this step, but we heard the Lord say do it. You know, he was going to take care of us, so we did it. And, again, had all these expectations that money was going to come through the whole nine yards. It did not until we get right up to the last minute and it's time to send the payment out. And right before that, Karen's mother, who is not wealthy in any stretch of the imagination, sends us enough money to pay our first house payment. And then after that, I got a job and things went kind of back to God's normal provision for us. But here's the thing. We weren't special. I wasn't super holy, right? Um, (laughs) And so if God would do that for me, it turns out that He didn't do that because of my behavior, because I had done well. He did that because of His love for me. And here's, the Bible says, God's no respecter of persons. So if He will do that for me, then He will do that for you too. So you can expect God to go before you. The, the thing is, though, just in this story, my expectations were off big time. And, and because I had set expectations on God that he had not given me, I fretted and worried as if I had not heard his voice. So I just want to emphasize that. Like, like God's intention behind it, and we were young, so we were learning, growing, still am, but, but the intention behind it is Lord's, the Lord says things to you sometimes, and you add a bunch of stuff to it that he did not say. Right, because we, you know, we want to. We we need more. We're like, I can't trust you without more information. And the Lord's like, I mean, I told your wife, right, and I told you supernaturally. Then I told you I was going to take care of you. I've shown you a hundred times. How many times, Dave, is it going to take before you actually trust me without more information? Right, and so God's asking you to do that. I mean, again, He's not asking you to blindly do it. That's not what blindly is. Not trust. Right. Blindly is you're ignorant and you got your head stuck in the sand and that's not going to end well for anybody. So don't, don't be weird about it. Don't go, you know, God's got this when maybe, you know, this is something you need to make an adjustment in your life. And God's brought some circumstances to bear on you because you couldn't hear him any other way. So that's also a possibility. So keep that in mind. But here's the thing. If you, if you track with what the Lord is saying and he says, I'll go before you. So then you look for the path that he has made for you. And when you find that, you're going to see amazing things. So it would be amazing if that were the only thing he did. But not only does God go before you, God goes way before you, way before you. So what does that mean? I'm going to get to that in a second. But let me just just kind of talk this through. I often get asked questions about the new covenant, right? So this sounds like a totally different subject, but it's not. So I get asked questions about the new covenant, and so they're questions like, you know, what's the difference between the old and, co- old and the new covenant? When did the new covenant start, right? When did the old covenant end and the new one start? Uh, am I still bound by the Old Testament, by the Ten Commandments, those kind of things? Um, a big one I often get is what happens if I break the covenant, in, you know, with, with Jesus in the new covenant? And it seems like that's a really good question. But it's actually a question that tells me how ignorant, because I've asked the same question in the past, tells me how ignorant I actually am about the new covenant. So um, it gets phrased, uh, that same question gets phrased like this. If it's a covenant, and it's like a contract, because a covenant is kind of like a contract, right? Like, so a marriage is a covenant, right? So I have a covenant with my wife. Um, if I have a covenant with someone, or I have, the Bible talks about a covenant with the land. So what happens if you break the covenant? Because in, you know, modern day, like a contract, um, someone could either party can break the rules of the contract, and the, and the contract is then void, right? So it, it seems to say what happens when I break the covenant with Jesus is that there's some kind of punishment that's involved, right? And that's what we think. So here's the thing the new covenant was not made between you and God. <laughs> I'm gonna say it again a little slower. The new covenant was not made. Between you and God, see the old covenant was made between God and His people, and so it's interesting because it failed. Here's what Hebrews says: Hebrews seven, uh, sorry, uh, Hebrews eight, seven and eight says about the old covenant because it was tied to the, it was made between God and His people, and so this is what it says: It says, "For if there had been nothing wrong with the first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. In other words, if the old covenant was going to do it for all of us, there's no reason for a new covenant." It would have never needed to come, right? So it says it says this at the very end of that verse. It says, but God found fault with the people. Why? They could not uphold their end of the bargain. What was was the bargain? The bargain was be holy as I am holy. Right? Jesus comes in Matthew 5 and 6 and says, you know, if your if your righteousness does not exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees, you're no in no way are you going to enter the kingdom of heaven. That's frightening, right? It's like, man, those Pharisees were pretty serious. I mean, they they tied their you know their kitchen um, spices, so right? they were serious about following the law. And and the whole the promise of the law was very interesting because it, some part of that law was it wasn't permanent or forever because every year you had to make another sacrifice for the sin committed in that year, right? So it's interesting. The Bible says that they failed to uphold their end of the bargain, so something else had to be done. So the new covenant was not made between you and God. The new covenant is a promise made by God to Jesus. So I could dig into this really really deep, but I'm just going to read you some scriptures and let you go check this out. There's a lot of controversy about what people call the grace message, which is just the gospel, by the way. So it's just a, you know, a nice way of saying, you know, you get saved by the gospel and we think that's where the gospel end, the gospel will never end. The gospel is the grace and the love of God from God to us, not from us to him, right? So here's Hebrews 7.20 about this promise made by God to Jesus. It says, it was not without an oath. This, this is the promise. It was not without an oath. Others became priests. He's talking about the Old Testament priests. Others became priests without an, any oath, but he, Jesus, became a priest with an oath when God said to him, to Jesus, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. Because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. And so there's a promise that Jesus, uh, that God made to Jesus. He's going to fulfill this, this priesthood. Jesus was becoming a new priest. They had a priesthood in the old covenant. There's a priesthood in the new covenant. The priesthood in the new covenant is Jesus, right? Hebrews talks about this. Here's another one in verse uh, chapter 6. It says, God also bound himself with an oath, talking about the same thing we just came from, so that those who received the promise, listen, could be perfectly sure that he would never change his mind. Really, really important. Because we think that my behavior causes God to change his mind about his love and his mercy and his grace for us, and it will not ever happen. Helpful to know that. It goes on, it says, he will never change his mind. So, God has given both his promise. And his oath, these two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. Listen to this verse. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. So what does that mean? Why is that so important? Well, one thing is, when you know that you are saved, that you know that God's love for you is not changed by your foolishness or your behavior, then what happens when you sin? First thing you can do is you can come boldly, this is Hebrews again, boldly before God, before the throne of grace, right? He uses that. This is a throne, but it's a throne of grace. It's not the throne of judgment. That's not what you're coming before when you need help. And it says, when when you need it, you can come boldly for help in time of need. In other words, what's grace for if it's not for what grace is for? Right? (laughs) So it's really helpful to understand that. So what does it mean? He's not just your protector, and he's not just the one who brings provision because he goes before you. He has gone so far before you. That he's paved a way that's permanent and it's, and, and it's forever. And with the new com- covenant comes the promise, one, of a personal relationship with your God. Remember what it said? Let me just read this again in, in, uh, in Isaiah. It says, um, uh, we can get to Isaiah 41, it says, comfort, comfort whose people? Not the people. God's saying, comfort, comfort my people. Listen, says your God. See, it's a personal thing. We talk about, you know, we hear this thrown around all the time, is, a, you know, it's a personal relationship with Jesus. You have a personal relationship with Jesus. Well, what the heck does that even mean, right? Personal relationship with Jesus, like Jesus, my co-pilot. Well, first of all, if, if the planes, you probably want Jesus flying. I'm just saying, if you're going to pick between you and him, with a skill set, maybe put him in charge, it's just a thought. But the whole thing is we forget that we can come before him and we can have conversations about everything. Here's what will happen. And in, in we learn this from the world, that when I become vulnerable, often I get stepped on, right? I, I put out some vulnerability, and because of whoever I'm talking to, with you know, m- taking my vulnerability and putting it out there, their immaturity or their insecurity or their self-absorption makes it about them and, and ignores us or shames us for what we've just become vulnerable with. But God will never do that to you, right? You know why? Because he knew all of that ahead of time, way before you ever brought it up. He knew what was going on, what, every sin that you had ever created or ever committed, every sin that you ever would commit, and he saw that as one big picture, and he says, I want them anyway. Not I, I, not I need them, I want them, I want to be in a relationship and there's a bunch of junk in the way, so there must be something that I can do to get the junk out of the way. And what was it? He made a promise, he had an oath before the foundations, this is what the Bible says, way before us, before the foundations of the whole world were, was made, the Lamb of God was slain. So this plan that God had for redemption happened long before you ever needed redemption. So when you need redemption, don't get weird about it, <laughs> right? It's like, Jesus, if you knew what I... you ever prayed that prayer? Jesus, if you knew what I'd, I've done, Jesus like, dude, like, do we have to go over this again? Does he call you dude? He calls me dude something. Dude, right? I, we, we've talked about this. And you keep coming back here. Stop doing that. Grow up. And so this is the passage. You know, again, Hebrews 8.10. This is the new covenant I'll make with the people of Israel. On that day, says the Lord... I will pour, out, pour out, or sorry, put my laws in their minds. I will write them on their hearts. Listen, I will be their God, and they will be my people. God says, I'm, I'm tired of this temple and, this, and the priest being between you and I. I. There's a priest now who took everything away so you and I could be personally and in relationship together. In, God isn't just God. He's not just there. He is my God. He is your God. Helpful to understand. Another thing, the new covenant comes with the promise of complete forgiveness of sins. And I've mentioned this a little bit, but I want to I just spend a moment on it. Under the old covenant, forgiveness was never final and forever. You had to return year after year on the day of atonement. This is in Leviticus 16 if you want to look it up. So that the high priest could continually slaughter an animal and place the blood of the sacrifice on the altar in the Holy of Holies. For an Old Testament believer, it was an amazing thing to come on the Day of Atonement and have all the guilt and shame that you've been carrying for the entire year covered. Not removed. Covered. The problem with that is, on the way home from the Day of Atonement, right, traffic is really bad coming out of Jerusalem and your wife's getting on your nerves and, you know, and next thing you know, you've, you've said something about a donkey, only you didn't use the donkey. See what I'm saying? And so what happens now? Literally on the Day of Atonement, you sinned. Now you've got to wear that guilt and carry that guilt for at least a year. And that builds up. I can't even imagine, because think about the hope that was in them for the Day of Atonement. The hope that was in them for the Day of Atonement come that my sins are going to be covered again. And that I'm not going to sense and feel the guilt. I'm not going to, I'll sense and feel it, because God's covered it. So it's, I'm, I'm not going to be judged for it. But that's not what happens in the new covenant, right? In the old covenant, they're new. their future sin. Anything that they screw up is going to haunt them. But that's not how it works in the New Testament. Let me just give you three scriptures and I'm almost done. Hebrews 10, one, starting in verse 1, going through verse 3. It says, the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, the law, can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. See that personal coming near, but but even in that, it was limited and it could never make them perfect. And they sensed that and they felt it. It said, if it could, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all, And would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. Now how about you as a believer this morning? Because again, I want to comfort your heart. I want to speak tenderly to you. I think God wants to remind you. Are you walking in guilt and shame and condemnation? Because if you are, you don't have to ever again. Ever. Does that make sin okay? Of course not. Jesus paid a heavy price. A price we're not even going to completely understand. Probably. Until we get to heaven. So the price for your sin has been paid. And it's a costly price. It cost God his only son. It cost Jesus his life. He left heaven and came to earth and became like us, right? And he lived a perfect and a holy life. And then he laid his life down as a sacrifice on a cross, on an altar, if you will. And that sacrifice was blood. That's the economy of the kingdom. It's not how sorry you feel for your sins. It's not the blood of goats and bulls. It is the blood of the Messiah, the one and only sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice. It wasn't just sacrificed here, but the Bible says in another place, his blood was sprinkled. This is all a shadow here, but in heaven, apparently there's some kind of temple that God spread or sprinkled that blood, and that blood was enough. Jesus said, it is finished. He laid down his life. Nobody took it. He laid it down. And when he rose on the third day, it was God saying, I have received this sacrifice, and here's proof, he lives forever. And because he lives, you also live. Not just in eternity, not just in heaven, but the life of God now lives in you. And we're going to get to that at another time. Here's another passage, 1 Peter 3.18. Christ died for sins once for all. Hear that? Once for all. So if you keep asking him, I'm going to get into this later, but if you keep asking him for forgiveness, you misunderstand the new covenant. And I know that's hard for some of us to, to kind of wrap our heart around, wrap our head around. Um, should you ask for forgiveness? Sure. You can ask for forgiveness. Lord, I'm sorry. You can, there's nothing wrong with that. If you're in a personal relationship with someone and you wrong them, of course say you're sorry. But if you ask forgiveness, what you're saying is that your perfect work on the cross where you said it was finished, was not actually finished, that my sorrow for my sin, my realizing that I shouldn't have done that, has more power than the blood of Jesus. And it doesn't. So, should you feel sorry for your sins? Lord, I hope so. Right? Because sin, we're not made for sin. Sin is not for us. It hurts other people. There are lots of reasons Jesus paid such a heavy price And it's not good to do that. That's why Romans goes after that in such a big way. But I want to challenge you. If you keep asking, Lord, I've I've done something stupid. Now I keep coming. Lord, I'm so sorry. What you're saying is that you can't come before him without making another offering. And the scripture is clear. Your offering is worthless. It's worthless. It's not wrong that that you feel sorry. It's just worthless that you... Ask him for forgiveness when forgiveness has been given completely and finally and permanently. So what should you do? Lord, thank you for your forgiveness. (laughs) Thank you that even, even being a knothead, God, that even many of the consequences for my actions here, you even take those away. You don't have to, but you do, and I'm so incredibly thankful. So one more scripture, and then I'm wrapping it up. Colossians 2, when you were dead in your sins... Not when you're trying to do well, but when you were dead in your sins. And in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us, past tense, He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code, the law, with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. We could never fulfill it, but He did. This is what it says. He, Jesus Took it away. How? He nailed it to a cross. He nailed himself as the sacrifice to the cross, so you don't have to. You don't have to do it. You don't have to. Listen, so often we want to come and bring a sacrifice for our mis- misbehaving, right? I say it all the time. I think if I'm sorry enough, that somehow moves God. God's like, I'm not interested in how sorry you are. I'm glad. <laughs> I think that's, that's great for our relationship. But it's not what has forgiven you. That's already been done. So God goes before us. He went way, way beyond going before us. Before the foundations of time, He went before us and He made a way. So I want you to be encouraged. God's given us a way. He's gone before us to protect us, to provide us. But He's also gone way before to take away our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, Scripture says, to place upon you His favor and His love. And He's never going to take that away. So what if you screw up royally? God never stopped loving you. Never stops. There's no time when God turns his face from you. He is not angry with you anymore. That was the promise of the new covenant. I will never be angry with my people again. Why? Because he poured out all of his anger, all of his wrath on Jesus, on his own son, voluntarily. Because there was something on the other side, and this is the way Jesus said it, For the joy that was set before me, what's on the other side of the cross, he endured the cross. He didn't enjoy the cross, he endured it. Why? Because of the other side of it, everything that was in the way of a relationship with you and him has been taken away, unless you keep putting it in front of you. And So I just want to encourage you, as I close in prayer, whatever the Lord is maybe saying something to you, it's like, you keep doing this. Like, he's not being mean to you, he's just saying, Why do you keep letting something get in the way of my great love for you and my favor and my compassion and my kindness on your life? Because I'm telling you, that is a way better motivator than guilt, shame, and condemnation. Amen? So let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you so much, Lord, that you were willing to go before, to make a way, Lord, way before, before the foundations of time, Lord, you went before us. And so, Lord, we just receive. Your love, we receive your kindness and your compassion, Lord. Whatever is in the way, whatever hinders, whatever it keeps getting between you and I, Lord, will you help us to see by revelation, Lord, from your word, from Scripture, that nothing, nothing can separate us from you, Lord. That if we are in you, there is now no condemnation. So Jesus, we just settle our hearts in that, and say, Lord, I I want. I want to draw close because you are already close. You literally live inside of me. And so, Lord, whatever's in the way, I pray this morning that it would finally be just taken down. Lord, whatever lie, whatever tower, Lord, that we've built, or the enemy is built with fear and shame and condemnation, would just be torn down in Jesus' name. We trust you for that. Amen. Thank you guys so much for joining us. If you need prayer or breakthrough, our team is going to be up here to pray for you. Um, Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.